Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Happy September 1st, Monsters and Mixers listeners. Um, We are your hosts. I am Emma. And I am Amy. And we're back to deliver you another true crime tale today. I just almost knocked the table over. (laughs) I'm excited. Um, So, uh, we're going to talk about some other things before we get into the story. But you wanted to say something first. You want to go ahead and do that. Yeah, so we have gotten a few listener submissions, your stories, and I just want to let you know how you can send those to us if you also want to share a paranormal or even just a a spooky story, something that creeps you out, something that was weird, strange, some encounter on the street, anything like that. It also doesn't even necessarily be your own. Like, if you've heard in passing someone tell you something that, like, stuck with you and you're like, oh, that was scary. Like, we just want to hear it. We have Halloween coming up and we want to do some, like cool scary stuff for that um for sure and i think i've heard almost every like scary story out there so i need some new material to keep me up at night you can get those to us lots of different ways you can email us at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com you can message us on facebook you can dm us us. on instagram and twitter yeah so lots of ways to connect We have, like, many, many contact buttons. (laughs) We're pretty easy to get to. Just look up Monsters and Mixers via Google and you can find us. Yeah, so the we actually want to talk about something completely unrelated because I saw a TikTok about two weeks ago that was, like, a simulator of this thing called the Euthanasia Coaster. And this is not a real coaster, so it was just, like, a simulator. Like, if any of you ever played, like, Roller Coaster Tycoon or whatever those games were back in the day. Yeah, like, those things. So... This is a hypothetical steel roller coaster that is designed to kill its passengers. Everyone. Like, yeah. You don't no make it out alive. Behind. Yeah. Um, it was designed in 2010 by a Lithuanian artist, um, and they were a PhD candidate. So I think it was probably one of their projects that they were doing. But it's supposed to be, like, practical euthanasia, and it's supposed to... The, the goal... 
is that it's supposed to take lives with elegance and euphoria. Um, if you haven't seen The Simulator, I suggest you watch it because even just like watching it, you kind of feel like a little lightheaded. I didn't watch it to the end because I was afraid I was going to accidentally murk myself yeah. <laughs> in my basement. Um, it starts off with like an insanely high climb and a very steep drop. And then you go into, I think it's, let me see here. It's like 10, maybe like seven to 10, seven. So seven, uh, loops and they get like smaller as you go on so the pressure gets greater it's like g-force I guess. yeah it's like it's definitely yeah it's g-force and as you're like going i guess like you're the ox your brain can't compute that you're supposed to start keep breathing i guess so you just kind of pass out and it's painless um i would hope i i would think so i think you would probably pass out and now we are not advocating for anyone to try something like this but it i think the intention was for it to be used for people who had terminal illness and yeah, wanted it's to definitely, seek a humane yeah. end of life. It's definitely like an end of life thing. It's not like uh, just anyone who wants to die. Um, but yeah, it says that it would kill its passengers through prolonged cerebral hypoxia, which is just insufficient supply of oxygen to the brain. Um, and I don't think, I was reading, I don't think you'd make it all seven loops i think you'd probably be done by like the fourth yeah i think they put the other three in just for good measure <laughs> yeah, just in case also who the hell would want to be the person at the end of that coaster in charge of taking cleaning a it bunch up, of dead imagine? bodies off of it that'd be the worst job ever all right next round i think it might even be worse to be the person at the beginning who's like boarding people on knowing that like it's their last moments of life it's making me kind of want to cry actually. it is a little sad but it's also kind of like i am a proponent of Assisted, assisted suicide. suicide. I feel like if you are in like the late stages of like terminal illness or you're just done, like you yeah. don't really want to do it anymore. I feel like it's a very honorable way to go out and you don't have to have all of your family members just watch you deteriorate and you get to go on your own terms. So I'm a huge proponent of it. I thought, do I thought Dr. Death was Dr. Kevorkian. Yeah. He was awesome. Um, we need to do a Dr. Kevorkian yeah, um, we could haunted hearse little episode one time yeah we could that do that we could cool. even just talk about him because he was one interesting ass dude he was and you know i think today if it were 2021 and dr kevorkian were doing what he did back when he started i don't think he would have been i don't think he'd be thought of the same way today yeah no because a lot of people hate think think he's like a villain and that he did it for like his own personal like sick gratification which i don't think so no, personally I don't think so either um I've, and there's a bunch of documentaries you can watch if you don't know who we're talking about. It's Jack Kevorkian, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was one of the first, like, pioneers of assisted suicide and doing things, like, on your own terms. Um, but if you don't know who we're talking about, you should get familiar because he's a very interesting dude and it'd be a cool, like, documentary for you to watch. I watched one in, like, a sociology class, I think. I feel bad that we didn't uh, introduce our drink before we laid the uh, roller coaster <laughs> of death on you. So we're going to go ahead and do that real quick. Yep, we're drinking a Washington Apple today. It's a cocktail that is based out of both Washington, D.C. and Washington State. Um, you don't like it very much. It's okay. <laughs> it's a little boozy for me. I'm kind of, I, I mean, you guys have probably picked up. I'm a bit of a puss when it comes to drinks. <laughs> Especially like, liquor-based Yeah, drinks, I'm not really yeah. a liquor drinker. Um, but this is equal parts, if you want to make it yourself. It's equal parts whiskey. They recommended like Canadian whiskey, but you can do whatever you want. A lot of the recipes said Crown. 
um, we use Makers because that's my gasoline. personal favorite. It tastes like gasoline. <laughs> and then you use equal parts. Oh, so it's equal parts whiskey of your choice. Um, I guess you could use like an apple flavored whiskey if you wanted to. If you want like a high apple. apple. Or, um, and then we have sour apple schnapps, which is literally looks like. It's apple pucker. <laughs> it looks like goo from it's Chernobyl. Kind of like yeah. It. And then you do cranberry juice. We put a little more cranberry in ours just to make it stretch it out a little bit it was really it was really strong i it's, like it it's 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 good it's growing on me <laughs> it is very shot like in its um taste i feel yeah like. well they are shots too like washington apple is a shot as well the picture she showed me looked like a martini it didn't quite look like a shot mm -hmm. i'll be fine i'm a big girl I'm ours isn't as cold either so it might be better if it was a little more chilled uh, i didn't do that which was a fail on my end as a bartender but <laughs> um one other thing I'd like to talk about before we get going, um, just kind of a little sidebar, is we are working on getting some merch set up. So I'm gonna be social mediaing that out and talking to some people. We would really like to do some merch giveaways. So please stay tuned for like some contests and things. Also, I'm thinking I would like to do like mugs and maybe some skull caps and things because it's getting ready to be um, fall and getting mm -hmm. cooler. I'm yeah, and I, I want to do like some outerwear too, like maybe like a crew neck here and there, or like yeah. a long sleeve shirt because we do have like the cool weather coming up. And we want it to be like wearable, so not necessarily just like our name and logo, like a walking billboard. Just I want it to faces. be like something, yeah, <laughs> something like specific to us. So like people who listen to us would know that that's what that's about, but it's not necessarily just saying like Monsters and Mixers podcast. Right. Because um, I like that more. Cool stuff. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions, if there's like anything you want us to make that you would like to have, I think we're definitely going to do stickers. Um, working on that right now. Yeah, so you can put us on your car if you want. That'd be cool. But yeah, we're working on that. So with that being said, I'm going to dive right into the case. This one was a hard one to research because it's quite depressing. There's like really no, nothing good about it. Like... <laughs> Everything that happens here is very tragic, so just brace yourselves for impact. <laughs> she just took a drink of her drink, and Woo! she does not <laughs> look very happy. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing it. But it's quite sad. Um, and if you were old enough to remember, I was not, because this happened in 2002. You probably remember this taking media by storm, because it was a big deal. Um, but we are going to be discussing the DC snipers, the DC sniper case. And it is one that has had a lasting impact on many people, entire cities, law enforcement, and families everywhere. And particularly because these individuals, they shot with planning and precision, and they shot at random. So I read that they're not really classified as serial killers, more like spree killers, because mm -hmm. there wasn't like a pattern, there was no reason, there wasn't like they were targeting a specific group of people. It was just crimes of opportunity. Um, and they shot at random. Like I said, race and gender were irrelevant. They didn't care who you were. They didn't care how old you were. Everyone was fair game. Um, their victims were young, old, black, white, male, or female. And the DC snipers, sometimes referred to as the Beltway snipers, were 41-year-old John Allen Muhammad and his 17-year-old accomplice, Lee Boyd Malvo. Traveling in a blue 1990 Chevrolet uh, Caprice, sorry, the sedan, their crime spree began in February of 2002. They committed crimes ranging from robbery to murder in the states of Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, and Washington. These resulted in seven dead and seven wounded. So that's before they even got to the East Coast. So 
there's way more than seven dead and seven wounded once they get up there. That's Dang. what they did before. <laughs> so they left a trail of bodies yes. before they got to the place they, they were literally to go going to. everywhere. Like they would be in one state at one point of the afternoon and be in another state early more hours of the next morning. Without the killing, it kind of sounds like a great way to live. Just travel, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, vigilantes. No, I don't. I don't think it sounds well, like. Well, I mean, way to live. without all the crime and stuff, I would love to be in two different states from morning to night and just go. Yeah, without the killing, it'd be <laughs> awesome. That's a big part of his story. Um, but in ten months, the snipers killed seventeen people. Before we get to the chaos and madness that ensued in Washington D.C., excuse me, I'm burping. We need to talk about the events that transpired before they even got there. On February 16, 2002, 21-year-old cashier Kenya Nicole Cook was shot and killed by Lee Malvo at the front door of her aunt's home in Tacoma, Washington. Her aunt, Isa Nichols, I think it's Nichols. Isa Nichols. Is it Isa? Isa? It's Isa. Isa? Isa? I don't know. I don't know. You know I can't pronounce that <laughs> shit. She had been good friends with John Allen Muhammad's ex-wife, Mildred, and it said that she encouraged her to seek a divorce, a crime of passion leaving a completely innocent victim dead. The next month, a month later, on March 19, 2002, Jerry Taylor, age 60, was killed by a single shot to the chest, fired from long range as he was practicing his golf swing at a golf course in Tucson, Arizona. Muhammad's sister lived near the golf course, and wouldn't you know it, he was visiting her at the time of the shooting. Is this going to be another one of those that pisses me off? It's... We had 800 times to capture them and should have seen all of the signs but no one did kind of because i kind of get it as well because it wasn't like back to back to back and it wasn't in a concentrated area so i can see like you're dealing with different jurisdictions of law enforcement like i don't think the law enforcement in tacoma washington is going to know about a random shooting that happened in washington yeah we should be better about that yeah but unfortunately nothing came of that one so they continued Two more deaths and four more injuries followed in other states from March through July of 2002. On August 1st, 2002, 51-year-old John Gato was changing a slash tire in a parking lot in Hammond, Louisiana. Malvo shot him in the neck, the bullet exited through John's back, and he pretended to be dead while Malvo robbed him of his wallet. After his shooter left, John bolted to a service station and discovered that he was bleeding. So He didn't I, know he was yeah. shot? Uh, this almost makes me think that he didn't realize initially that he had been shot. Um, his adrenaline was probably so high that he didn't have time to feel the pain from the bullet wound. So he's just like, I'm just going to lie down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, it worked. They ran away and he survived. It's like that one story, the Sam Little, the one lady played dead. Remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. He went to a nearby hospital and was released within an hour. So he got yeah, lucky, lucky as hell. Um, later, he would receive an apology letter from Malvo nearly eight years later in March 2010. So, what is an apology letter? <laughs> I know. Sorry. Did Sorry he go I to shot like you. AA or something? He's doing like an apology tour? No, he went to prison. Spoiler alert <laughs> this doesn't end well for these people. Thank God. Yeah. September 5th, 2002, at 10.30 p.m., 55 year old Paul LaRufa, the owner of a local pizzeria was shot six times at close range while locking up his restaurant in Clinton, Maryland. He miraculously survived as well, and his laptop was later found in John Allen Muhammad's car when they were ultimately arrested. So this is how we know these crimes are connected, because we got the letter, we got the proximity of his sister being right by the golf course, that person be having a random connection to his ex-wife and the laptop. 
That's how we know that these are all done by the same people. They weren't very smart in their cleanup. I was going to say, they were not very <laughs> yeah, smart. No, they were not. Rented a billboard, but yeah. killed these people. Right. September 21st, 2002, at 12.15 a.m., Million A. Walter Merriam, 51 years old, was fatally shot in the head and back with a .22 caliber pistol in Atlanta, Georgia. Million was helping the owner of a Sammy's package store close up for the night when the shooting took place. 19 hours later, on the same day, Claudine Parker, a 52-year-old liquor clerk in Montgomery, Alabama, was shot in the chest and killed during an armed robbery. Her co-worker, 24-year-old Kelly Adams, was critically wounded when she was shot in the neck, but she thankfully survived the attack. So, we have a lot of people that are surviving, but not a lot of eyewitnesses who can be like, this is what this person looks like, and this is what you should be looking for. To Evidence me, indicates somebody who probably isn't a master marksman. Right. And someone who is not that super familiar with the gun, mm -hmm. because they're missing the well, mark a lot. We'll see. Okay. Because they were a master marksman, and we will talk about this later. The precision that they shot with is kind of nuts. Um, Did they get better later than I'm I saying? guess. Okay. I think this is kind of just like random, and like they're frantic trying to get money, and Rushed. they got more calculated once they started settling into an area. Gotcha. Um, evidence found at the crime scene went on to tie this to the DC sniper killings and allowed authorities to identify Malvo and Muhammad as suspects. Unfortunately, this connection was not made until October 17th. September 23rd, 2002, at 6.13 p.m., or 6.30 p.m., my bad, 45-year-old Hong I'm Ballinger was fatally shot in the head with a Bushmaster rifle in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So getting closer to D.C. Yeah. Now that we've discussed all of the crimes and shootings that took place before the infamous D.C. sniper story took the Baltimore-Washington area by storm, we can dive into the main event here. I'm diving into my drink right now, <laughs> and it is, woo! I like it. I'm going to take a sip, actually. Midway through, I suspect I will not be refilling this, but we'll switch, be switching to wine. <laughs> I guess. I'm sorry. No, we didn't have good. much to work with. It was either this or a gin and tonic, and I hate gin, so. Yeah. We're not drinking that. It's not terrible. You guys will like it, I promise. <laughs> 5.20 p.m. on Wednesday, October 2nd, 2002. A single shot was fired through a window of a Michael's Craft store in Aspen Hill, which is an area in Montgomery County, Maryland. No one was injured, the bullet just barely missing a cashier at the store by the name of Ann Chapman, and the shooting was assumed to be random and raised no serious alarms as no one was injured. But, one hour later at 6.30 p.m., 55-year-old program analyst James Martin was shot and killed in the parking lot of a shopper's grocery store located in Wheaton, which is approximately five miles from the Michael's Craft store from earlier that afternoon. So they're probably thinking, well, this is a little weird now. Yeah. Somebody almost got shot and then... And also why, even if it was a random shooting, why would that raise no alarms? Someone just fired a shot into Michael's. What did they think? Well, do we know? Is this a high crime area where gunshots are... I, I don't think so. Um, it's pretty... It's not very close to Baltimore, which Baltimore is kind of like a high crime mm -hmm. area. I think these are nicer neighborhoods, but I'm not entirely sure. Not to be shitting on Baltimore. No, definitely not. The next morning, October 3rd, four people were shot and killed in a two-hour span in Aspen Hill and other surrounding areas in Montgomery County. Another person was killed later that evening in Tacoma, which is a neighbor in the DC a neighboring uh, DC area city, and I'm going to discuss those shootings now. This is a very not happy episode, so I'm sorry, but 7:41 a.m. So they're off to a bright and early start here. 39-year-old landscaper James L. Buchanan, also known as Sonny, was shot and killed at 11411, 11411, 
Rockville Pike near Rockville, Maryland. He was mowing the grass at Fitzgerald Auto Malls. 8.12 a.m., while getting gas at a mobile gas station at the corner of Aspen Hill Road and Connecticut Avenue, 54-year-old part-time taxi driver Prim Walakar was shot and killed. So this is happening in broad daylight. Like they That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it's just happening like random. Can you imagine just like doing whatever and just pew, gone? I remember when this happened because I am old enough to remember. And I remember it, we didn't hear about it for a long time. And then all of a sudden it was like, you yeah, know, national news. Yeah. And it was terrifying because there, like you said, there was no rhyme or reason as to when it was happening and why it was happening mm-hmm. and who was the target. Or where. And these people were just doing normal everyday things. And for a while, I was like, I'm kind of afraid to go get gas, and I'm kind of afraid to do this, and I'm yeah. afraid to do that because you never knew when or if they were going to change where they're going. Plus, as we've learned through our research and other serial killers and things, copycat killings, and that's a big that's a big yeah, thing. a big faction of crime. And so I I remember being nervous and anxious to go do just normal everyday things. Yeah, well, you don't know if they have, like, connections elsewhere, too, that could be, like, doing some crazy just terrorist plot on... Is it some cult that's, you know, going to start escalating and... It's very scary. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. Only 25 minutes later, at 8.37 a.m., 34-year-old babysitter housekeeper Sarah Ramos was killed at a Leisure World shopping center in Norbeck. She had just gotten off of a bus and was reading a book on a nearby bench. Uh-huh. That's sad. At 9.58 a.m., a 25-year-old woman by the name of Lori Ann Lewis was gunned down while she was vacuuming her car, a Plymouth Grand Voyager, at a Shell gas station at the intersection of Connecticut and Knowles Avenue in Kensington, Maryland. The snipers took about tw- a 12-hour break until they took their next victim at around 9.20 p.m. 72-year-old Pascal Charlotte, Charlotte, a retired carpenter, was shot while he was walking on Georgia Avenue in Washington, D.C., he succumbed to his injuries less than an hour later. That's so sad. Yeah. The craziest thing about this string of murders is that each victim was killed by a single bullet fired from an unknown distance away. In each case, the perpetrators fired their single shot and seemingly disappeared. This is a pattern that was not recognized until after the shootings occurred on October 3rd. As to be expected, the second this story hit the news, fear spread quickly throughout the region. Charles Moose, the chief of police for Montgomery County, Maryland, gave a press conference and told parents that schools were now on what is called a code blue alert, which meant that children must be kept indoors. No outdoor recess, activities, field trips, none of that. Which as a parent, I'm sure is a terrifying yeah. thing to hear. I would just be like, no, nope, you're staying home. And that's what a lot of people did. He made it a point to tell them that the schools were safe, but many parents picked their kids up early from school as they did not want them taking the bus or walking home. Understandably so. Right. Yeah. Montgomery County and Washington, D.C. public schools went into a full lockdown as well. So I actually have a friend, shout out to Josh if you're listening, who was of elementary school age in the D.C. area at this time. And he distinctly remembers no recess and also remembers being told to zigzag when they got out of their cars at like a gas station. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later on. People were straight up doing that. Is that how you get away from an alligator too? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you yeah. You can't go straight, which is terrifying to experience as a child. Let it like horrible. I would imagine that sticks with you. Yeah. Well into- I mean, you're like, well, when I was five, I couldn't go out because I might get sniped on the playground. <laughs> like what the hell kind of lasting trauma. Um, but yeah, school's hard enough without, <laughs> right. No kidding. Because these shootings seem to be taking place in different parts of the area, law enforcement agencies from neighboring states used telephone tips to stay active in the investigation and prepared for if or when the snipers might make their way into their own cities. 
Given the fact that these all seemed calculated, yet no one knew who the perpetrators could be, police only had very few pieces of evidence to work with. And, as we will learn later, a lot of this evidence and the tips they were receiving led them astray. One report said that someone had seen a white box truck at the site of the Silver Springs attack, and they sent out a bolo, which be on the lookout if none of you know, for said vehicle. Thankfully, multiple other reports came in of witnesses claiming that they saw a blue Chevy Caprice rather than a white truck. Thank God, because everyone who drove a white truck was probably like, holy shit. I just want to paint some White houses. truck van, white box van, which is the car that they should be looking for. Because it was indeed what Malvo and Muhammad were traveling in. The cops also initially believed that all of the attacks were carried out with a 20, .22, .223? How do you say that? I don't know. .22 caliber rifle. A twenty-two, I guess. A twenty-two, yeah. I'm not really big into guns, no. so... Sorry, me neither. They used a rifle. Yes. So, given the fact that seven separate shootings, including six deaths, occurred in the D.C. area within 15 hours, the news media began to devote extensive coverage to the story as the crime spree unfolded. By mid-October, live coverage of the aftermath of each shooting could be seen on all major news television networks, and more often than not, this coverage lasted for multiple hours at a time. The story was also covered on Fox's America's Most Wanted, and the story took the nation by storm. I'm not trying to be funny here, but how in the hell do they decide which one of their reporters has to go stand on the side of the road yeah. during a sniping mm-hmm. fest and report on somebody who just got sniped? I don't know. I, is it just last man in? You have to go out there? And also, it probably was really oppressive to live in that area at the time yeah. and not be able to escape that It'd news. It's terrifying. like 24-hour news coverage, and then you're also afraid to leave your house. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but being a reporter standing on the road. Yeah. Well, they probably figured that a lot of these shootings were one and done and not taking place at the same time. So if you show up in the aftermath of one, the chances of them coming back is very slim because they did not do that. I don't think I would be thinking that. I would be terrified. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, me too. Reporting but... from the um, sitgo. Be... Yeah, they're wearing their bulletproof vests and their <laughs> helmet. riot gear. Yeah, it would not be happening for me. Yeah, no. With public fear mounting, Muhammad and Malvo started to travel and cover a wider area, and they made their way to Virginia. On October 4th at 2.30 p.m., 43-year-old Caroline Sewell was shot in the chest in yet another Michaels parking lot as she was loading her newly purchased goods into her minivan. They hate crafting. Jeez. (laughs) At this point, they began to take two or three days between shootings, probably because they knew the police were on their tail and their every move was being documented by both local and national news outlets, so they were probably freaking out a little bit. I don't know why they wouldn't have just gone back down south, but, you know. I don't know why they had to... I, I don't understand. None of it. It's, I, yeah. I don't understand. Don't try to make sense of the senseless. The kill for sport, which is exactly what this oh, is. Oh, yeah. You're literally hunting people. Mm-hmm. And, and you didn't even tell them, so it's not even a fair fight. Right. Three days later, on October 7th at 8.09 p.m., a 13-year-old student named Iran Brown was shot in the chest and critically injured at his aunt, Ta- as his aunt, Tanya Brown, dropped him off at Benjamin Tasker Middle School in Bowie, Maryland. Due to his status as a minor, his identity was originally withheld from the public. He had damage to several major organs and very serious injuries, but he survived the attack and went on to ultimately testify at Muhammad's trial, which, 13 years old, holy shit. Mm -hmm. At the crime scene, investigators found a shell casing as well as a tarot card. Can you guess which tarot card they found? Death, which is very misunderstood. Yep, the death card. And it was inscribed with the phrase, Call Me God, on the front. And on the back, it read, for you, Mr. Police, code, call me God, do not release to the press. So trying to get a little notoriety. Mm -hmm. They're leaving little trails. 
On October 9th, 53-year-old civil engineer Dean Harold Myers was killed at 8.18 p.m. as he was getting gas at a gas station in Prince William County, Virginia. On October 11th, at 9.30 a.m., 53-year-old businessman Kenneth Bridges was fatally shot while getting gas at a different gas station off Interstate 95 in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. At this point, gas stations began to put tarps up to keep their patrons out of plain sight. Which is like... That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Now this is real life. So you have to pull into a gas station up to a pump behind a tarp. A tarp. That is just as about as terrifying as somebody trying to snipe you. I don't yeah. think I would enjoy that's that That's very at surreal. All. Yeah. Like, that's like something you'd see in a movie. That doesn't mm -hmm. even feel like real life. We're living in some bizarre times right now, but... Yeah. That's really crazy. That's something else. October 14th, um, an FBI analyst, Linda Franklin, who was 47 years old, was shot and killed in a covered Home Depot parking lot in Fairfax County, Virginia, at 9.15 p.m. From this came what was considered to be a very good lead from an eyewitness, but unfortunately they discovered that said witness was inside of the Home Depot at the time of the shooting and their claims were false. This person was later on convicted of interfering with a federal investigation. And that's another thing that I don't understand. People yeah. that... I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of a sickness to want to be associated and connected to. Yeah. And it also crime. could have been something along the lines of like, I thought I saw this, but like to claim that you actually saw and that you were outside when you were inside. Why? What do you gain? Yeah. I don't. You gain nothing from that. That's so stupid. Well, and all you do is cause the police to have to backtrack and go back and it costs more time and probably costs more people their lives. Yeah. Because they were chasing false leads instead of actually focusing on what they needed to do. I'm um, really not enjoying this um, drink, <laughs> so I'm going to take a little TV timeout, radio timeout right now, and I'm going to switch this for some vino. Yeah, so we that's will... fair. I'm going to refill mine because I'm enjoying it. She's going to drink the rest of mine, too, because <laughs> I'm out of it. I'm done. We'll be back. Be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back. The um, next portion is sponsored by Franzia. <laughs> Just kidding, but not kidding. I traded in my Washington Apple for a um, sunset blush, and I'm in my happy place now. So. <laughs> We're about to get to a not-so-happy place. So. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, back into it. So we left off with the FBI agent, which is very bold. Um, I don't think they knew that she was an FBI agent, but, like, the second you start killing, like, high-level government officials, right. it becomes, like, a whole nother story. Yeah. that Then it's just kind of like, okay, we're going to find these people, and we're not going to be nice to them at all. And it becomes a... Does it become a federal crime? Elevated to a federal crime? It's already a federal crime when you murder someone. Yeah, no, but then I guess you can get more agencies and things Probably. involved because it was oh, a yeah. federal Oh, yeah, they're agent. about to bring in the FBI. Okay. The big dogs are about to come in, which I'm surprised it took them this long to do. Well, yeah, um, that... 
I'm not saying that her life was not value, valuable or should not have been valued, but so should the other people who were mm-hmm. killed previously. It already The FBI should have already been there trying to figure out who the hell these people were. Yeah. On October 14th, so... 19th. No, 19th, sorry. So we're five days later. They took a little break. Oh, getting their sleepy time in, I guess. Whatever the hell they were doing. Probably buying more ammo and shit, restocking. Who knows? On October 19th at 8 p.m., another shooting took place in the parking lot of a Ponderosa Steakhouse in Ashland, Virginia, which is 90 miles south of D.C. The victim, a 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper, survived his injury. So, thankfully, a lot of these people are surviving, um, but a lot are not as well. But they're probably pissed off about that because they're probably just trying to add up their body count. Right. And it's not necessarily working. The whole point of this was a killing spree. Right. So, all right, sorry, I lost my place. At this time, authorities and investigators found a four-page letter in the woods that made threats of physical harm to children and demanded $10 million. Where are you going to go? Right. I mean, you can get $10 million, <laughs> but you're not getting away. Yeah, so now we're extorting. That's the, let's tack that charge on to right. things. Two days later, Richmond PD arrested two men, one of which had a white van, outside of a gas station as they were believed to be the perpetrators. And the most fucked up part about all of this is that these two men, who had absolutely nothing to do with these crimes, were undocumented immigrants who were subsequently deported by immigration services after this. So they were going off of the false white van claim. They're literally looking for white vans, and it's not even a white van. Um, And these two men who had nothing to do, I don't care how you feel about illegal immigration, whatever. They had nothing to do with it. It did nothing wrong. And it probably ruined their lives. Yeah. The next day, October 22nd, 35-year-old bus driver Conrad Johnson was shot while standing on the steps of his bus. During the weeks when the shootings occurred, the public's fear was palpable. People began avoiding gas stations, parking garages, and parking lots of big big retailers. My God. Retailers, which I can understand because, as we've noticed a pattern, if there is one in here, these people are killing people at gas stations, like big, like, Home Depot parking lots, like places like that, and just parking lots in general. So I would be avoiding those places as well. They probably went to places where they knew there would always be somebody outside. And always somebody by themselves. Yeah. I mean, later at night. You can drive by just about anywhere, like Mm -hmm. one of those stores, and there's 90% of the time someone will be in the parking lot or walking to and from the building. Yeah. It is said, like I mentioned earlier, that when people got out of their cars to fuel up, they did not stand still. And zigzagged everywhere so as to not make themselves an easy target or a sitting duck. The White House, the Capitol building, and other government buildings had a heightened security presence, and United States senators received police escorts to and from the United States Capitol every day. Imagine living in constant fear that you're just going to be sniped at random at any given point. No, that's terrifying. And it's also scary that they have, like, no lead. They don't even know how to find these people. They're going everywhere. And there's nothing you can do. No. Because you don't see it coming right you don't know where they are it's not like they're doing it all in one place they're not perched up on a building no they're just there's it's literally like some just random stuff and <laughs> oh my our cat once again going nuts i think with a piece of string or and a, she, a has, she has a bread twi- tie she has a twist tie that's <laughs> off of one of our cords that i like to keep our cords nice and tidy so they don't mess with them and one of the twist ties <laughs> came off and so she is now going crazy and it's really cute because she's our polydactyl kitty so if you don't know what that is she has extra toes so she looks like she has a thumb oh my gosh and she can pick things up like a person and she's (laughs) 
right now throwing this twist tie all over her. Um, and there's a toy. <laughs> all over Literally her Literally cannot get a break from them. What was your friend? He said monsters, mixers, and meow. Would be <laughs> yeah. a good name for us. So we're bringing the meows in now. So finally, at 3.19 in the morning on October 24th, the FBI closed in on the snipers in their blue 1990 Chevy Caprice. Since their arrival to the DMV area, 10 people had been gunned down and three were critically injured. And this doesn't even include their preliminary attacks. So, the investigation was led by the Montgomery County Police Department and was headed by Chief Charles Moose. Moose specifically requested the help of the FBI and they stepped in to assist as well as many other law enforcement agencies in the surrounding area. So this was just everyone was trying to get these dudes. Maryland State Police, Montgomery County SWAT officers, and agents from the FBI's hostage rescue team arrested John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo as they were sleeping without a struggle. So before I get into the actual arrest, I'm going to kind of talk about some background um, and who these men were because I haven't really mentioned that. We have like 18 distractions surrounding us right now. A bunch of rude people who don't know how to turn their sound off on their phone. I have no words. <laughs> Other than someone getting smacked. <laughs> so I'm first going to talk about uh, Muhammad. And I'm going to talk about, I'm not necessarily his early life because I don't really care. If we're going to be completely honest. I no, don't want to dive into it. But I'm going to talk about his time in the army, in the military, because I believe, and a lot of other people believe, that this really shaped who he was in the later parts of his life. So, in August 1978, he enlisted in the Louisiana Army National Guard at Baton Rouge as a combat engineer. And he transferred to the regular army on November 6, 1985. And he was trained as a mechanic, a truck driver, and a specialist metal worker. He qualified with the Army's standard rifle, the M16, earning the Expert Rifleman's Badge. So... Sharpshooter, this is the Army's highest of three levels of ba basic rifle marksmanship for a soldier. So if you were, were wondering how these, this precision happened, here you go. So he's quite decorated. Yes. His first tour was with the 15th Engineer Battalion at Fort Lewis in 1985, and in 1991 he served in the Gulf War with a company that dismantled Iraqi chemical warfare rockets. So he received a Southwest Asia Service Medal, the Kuwait Liberation Medal, and the Kuwait Liberation Medal from Saudi Arabia. So he was a quite decorated veteran. In 1992, he was at Fort Ord, California, with the 13th Engineers, and in 1993, he was back at Fort Lewis with the 14th Engineer Battalion. He was honorably discharged from the Army with the rank of Sergeant on April 24, 1994, after 17 years of service, and he received a shit ton of awards. This dude was like... Pretty well respected in the military, like very well respected. He did a lot. Did you say he was discharged? He didn't honorably discharged. He didn't retire. No, okay. and I'm not entirely sure. They don't really say why he was honorably discharged. I'm not. I was just not really sure. Wondering if he was drawing a government pension because that would mean that all the robbing and things was just for fun. Um, I mean, after 17 years in the military, I would imagine he was probably getting some kind of monthly money. Probably, yeah. If I had to guess, I would say so. Uh, let's see here. I want to say a little bit more. Well, while you try and find it, I'm going to just drink. Sorry, some. I'm no, frazzled here. I'm going to drink some more of my drink. And 
Try to figure out what the cat's stalking right now. So <laughs> you're fine. So he was born as John Allen Williams, and he joined the Nation of Islam in 1987 and later changed his name to the surname Muhammad. So this is post 9-11 America, 2002. So you can imagine that once we find out that this man's name is John Allen Muhammad, you know what's going to come with that. Right. A lot of nasty shit with people who are like being very rude to people who are Muslim yeah. and everything like that. Um, and I'm going to talk about John Lee Malvo now, which this is very sad to me. This kid was 17 years old. Yeah. He was manipulated and taken advantage of by all accounts. He was born on February 18th, 1985. And, uh, his parents were never married. His mom was a Mason and, or his mom was a seamstress and his dad was a Mason. And he was born in Kingston, Jamaica. His dad left in 1990 when he was five years old, and him and his mother moved to the hill town of Endeavor, Jamaica, to be with her sister for almost a year. They moved back to Kingston and later to St. Martin, and when Malva was nine years old, he was sent to live with his aunt where he stayed for almost a year. And he didn't do so well in school. He wasn't the smartest kid. Um, he didn't have much guidance in life, I'll just say that. And they first, Malvo and his mom, they first met John Allen Muhammad in Antigua and Barbudo. I'm entirely sure where that is. I don't know. It's not, Bar it's not Barbados, it's Barbudo. So I'm not really sure. Is it like Aruba and Barbados, like some combination? I don't know. And they met him in around 1999. And James, his mother, or his dad, yeah, his mother, sorry, and Muhammad developed a strong friendship. Later, his mom left Antigua for Fort Myers, Florida, using false documents. She left her son with Muhammad, reportedly planning to have him follow her later, and Muhammad decided that this was an opportune time to convert Malvo to Islam. So by March 2001, he was completely isolated from his mom. At this point, 16 years old, and he had been converted by this guy who clearly has radical ways of thinking and is not thinking clearly. And this is who he is under, I guess, guardianship of at this point, because his mom left him to go to Florida illegally and left him with this random dude that she didn't really know very well. Which is, is a where terrible, he, terrible thing to do. Yeah. And he arrived illegally in Miami in 2001. And in December of that year, him and his mother were apprehended by Border Patrol in Washington. In January of 2002, which is a month before these shootings happened, he was released on a $1,500 bond. Um, he then went on to live in a homeless shelter with Muhammad in Bellingham and enrolled in Bellingham High School with Muhammad, falsely listed as his father. And it said that he did not make any friends at all. Mm -hmm. And his classmates said that he was kind of off. I'm sure he was. I mean... Probably. I'm sure there was a lot of factors, a cultural difference. Yeah. He wasn't very good at school. He was probably insecure. Mm -hmm. Plus, his mom deserted him. I mean, I feel really bad for the guy. And, um, so, you, you don't know this yet, but all of these shootings, although we know that Muhammad was this massive marksman in the military, the person pulling the trigger was Malvo. And the reason that he was shooting so well is because he has this man who is a decorated army veteran marksman. who has yeah. the highest level of marksmanship that you can get in the military training him how to do this at 16 years old, saying that we're going to do this for this and this reason. I mean, did he give reasons? Oh, he does. Okay. But I mean, reasons are insane. Right. As you can imagine. Um, but while in, so this is how we're going to get into how they got their guns and their weapons. 
While in the Tacoma, Washington area, according to his statements to investigators, Malvo shoplifted a Bushmaster XM-15 from Bullseye Shooter Supply and practiced his marksmanship on the Bullseye firing range adjacent to the gun shop. Under federal law, neither Muhammad nor Malvo were legally allowed to purchase or possess guns, with both classified as prohibited persons under the Gun Control Act of 1968. So I'm not entirely sure... Probably committed some crime with Probably. Gun. He got probably arrested somewhere. But let's circle back for a second. <laughs> he shoplifted a gun. He shoplifted a gun and then used the same shoplifted gun at the shooting range of the place right by where he shoplifted. Yes. <laughs> and no one saw him doing right. this. It's like if we're going to blame anyone, we need to start that's, there. That's like me stealing a <laughs> ham from Schnooks and sitting down <laughs> and eating the in, ham in the lobby in the liquor section for <laughs> Schnooks and eating the damn ham. What in the hell? <laughs> There's a lot of whys that I have here. Like, why would you even, for your own personal? What well, kind of shows like the disconnect that like right. I'm gonna steal this gun and then practice my shooting in the gun range of the place that I just stole the gun from? Yeah, what terrible employees? Yeah, it's like these people are not thinking clearly. Oh my lord, I my I can't. My brain's like. <laughs> Because I cannot imagine why. Also, Netflix, why do we not have a documentary about this? I feel like there are like movies and like stupid little British documentaries like Dateline. Yeah. That did stuff like that, but we could get some great content out of this story. And when you do do it, please do do make this <laughs> shoplifting scene like pivotal because it's no blowing kidding. my mind right now. Yeah, like, yeah, this is the turning point here. Where all of this could have been prevented. Because you call yeah. the cops on this kid, his gun's gone. And this is right. the gun that he used to commit these crimes. So. And then he'd be in jail for violating whatever... Law. Yeah, law the law that, that he just... Because he wasn't supposed to be touching a gun exactly. anyway. Exactly. And then Muhammad would probably also be in jail. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, he's just going to go out back and whatever. Shoot at targets. This so, shit pisses me off so bad. Now that we have some backstory on who these men are, I guess men and child... 17, doing these things, you're a man. Yeah, and he was tried as a man. So, these men. I'm going to get back into the investigation. So, at about 11.45 p.m. The night before they were found? Oh, sorry. Hold on. Maryland State Police, Montgomery County SWAT officers, and agents from the FBI's hostage rescue team arrested John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo as they were sleeping without a struggle. So, they were sleeping in their car. At about 11.45 p.m. the night before, their dark blue 1990 Chevy Caprice with the New Jersey license plate of NDA-21Z, which had been widely publicized on the news just hours before, was spotted at a rest stop parking lot off of I-70 in Maryland. Within the hour, law enforcement flocked to the scene and set up a perimeter to check for movement and prevent a possible escape. Police and FBI agents discovered that their car had a hole cut out of its trunk near the license plate so that shots could be fired from within the vehicle. This became an effective rolling sniper's nest. So they are, the back seat was taken out of the car. So they're driving like normal. They see someone that they want to kill, get in the back seat, back in the front seat, and they drive off. So how, I mean, the gun was out the hole. Was he like, was there another hole for him to see out of? He, or, I mean, he has his sniper. Oh, He's yeah, seeing out of his, scope. I yeah, guess his so it's scope. big enough where his scope would... Yeah, okay. which they would find. They found maps, walkie-talkies, a stolen laptop from one of the aforementioned victims. So we're linking him to those crimes now. Um, 
A Bushmaster .22 caliber rifle that had been used in all of the attacks, a rifle scope, and a tripod for aim for uh, for aim and steady shots, and many more items related to the attacks. They found, like, pages that had been ripped out of certain, like, vehicle manuals that they could tell were, like, the notes that they were leaving around. So they connected him to those. They connected him to the extortion. These guys were... Dumbasses. Yeah. They were just leaving every piece of evidence... Which is also kind of why you can't really call them serial killers because, yes, there are some serial killers who are messy with it, but a lot of them are very calculated and right. do their best to make sure that they are not their identity is not revealed. I, I yeah, I'm just still blown away at a lot of the details. And <laughs> yeah, things that, and you said okay, I'm waiting for you to tell me what their motive was because yes, so I here we go. Need to know why this happened. Um, we're gonna fast forward to trial here. So they were arrested. Whatever trial comes, um, they were both convicted at the trial and were sentenced to life without parole. Muhammad received the death penalty in Virginia, but Malva was too young to receive one as well. And he was Muhammad was executed by lethal injection on November 10th, 2009. At the 2006 trial of Muhammad, Malvo testified that the motive of the killing spree was to kidnap children for the purpose of extorting money from the government and and to set up a camp to train children how to terrorize cities. So they were building their own little sleeper cell yeah. in the United States of terror. And he said that their ultimate goal was to shut things down across the United States. It's the end. What a bunch of shit. Uh, Malvo so has gone on to write multiple books, I think. I think it's called, like, The Diary of the DC Sniper. I wanted to buy it and read it, but he's selling it for, like, $60 for a paperback, and I don't necessarily want to give that man commissary. I wonder if he's gotten rehabilitated at all um, I prison. would. I mean, as I said earlier, he was writing, like, sorry letters to a lot of people who did not die. So I feel like he has probably come to a, a massive realization that he was very manipulated by this man. He yeah. see it as a fa- saw as a father and was like, I did this for nothing. And, and I'm sure once he got the proper mental health help that he needed, because mm-hmm. he definitely did need some, it would be a hard thing to reconcile. It wasn't ever, nothing on there ever sounds like his motive. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he was very much the victim not as much as the people that he shot, because like you said, he was the one that was shooting and sniping mm-hmm. everybody. Well, that was also calculated by Muhammad. He's like, I'm going to have this kid pull the trigger. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So he, John Allen Muhammad is probably like the most evil person that I've probably heard of in a very long time. He knowingly got this 17-year-old kid. I guess he was probably 15, 16 at the time of meeting him. Isolated him from his mother, who was literally the only source of love in his life at the time. His dad had already left. Isolated him from his aunt. Took him from his home country. He's no longer in Jamaica. Takes him to this foreign land of America illegally. Tells him all this shit. Makes him convert to Islam. Radical Islam. Let's specify that. Radicalized him. Very radical. Radicalized the fuck out of him. And rolled him in high school that he was isolated at. He had no friends. He had no one. And then made him commit these crimes. Yeah, and you know, and it was all for himself, too. Muhammad had him killing people that he thought had to do with his divorce. Like, all of this shit. It was all for him. A very selfish person. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I think in the book that he wrote, he acknowledges that he was taken advantage of completely. And that he was mind brainwashed. Does he have effectively. the possibility of parole? No. They were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. 
I wonder if that would be converted because they can go back and change that as people change and different judges and I, things. They but, can, but I'm going to seriously doubt that he's going to ever be granted parole. Yeah, kind of like Manson. Yeah, tried Charles Manson somehow got the possibility of parole. Yeah, but was he never given it. He wasn't the trigger man for his crimes. He no, true. Convinced lots of other people to do things that he didn't have the guts to do himself. Yeah, like Muhammad. Very much. Very much like Muhammad. Very similar situation. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah. I, think I feel like all of my stories are just so sad. Yours are kind of like, ooh, spooky Halloween, and mine are like real life trauma. Yeah. 18 people dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was an interesting one that you don't necessarily see many podcasts about. No. Or movies or like, no one really talks about it. It's very niche. Niche. I can't speak. Niche. Niche. (laughs) Barbudo, I looked up while you were doing one of the other things, is in Cuba. Oh, okay. So I'm not sure why. It's also some other term for, it's also a slang term for something in Barbados, but I skipped over that part because... I didn't have time to deep dive, but so they were in Cuba for a while. Yeah. Well, they said somewhere between Antigua and Barbudo, mm-hmm. wherever that is. Yeah. Very similar. Well, that was um, a really interesting episode. I I think there's pictures. Um, we'll post some of like the sniper nest in the back of their car. And it is like terrifying that that can even happen. Yeah. And that was the part that stuck with me the longest. Like when you said you wanted to do the DC sniper I remember when they said that they were shooting out of the back of the car. And I was like, my God, that makes it even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's not even like they're shooting out of windows. They're shooting out of a tiny little hole in the trunk of a car. Very, honestly, a little credit to them. Very innovative and smart. Yeah. Because they're moving while they're shooting. It's not like they're parked. They're moving. No one's going to think that a bullet's going to come out of the trunk of a car. Right. And it would make your getaway that much easier. Yeah, you just keep driving like normal. They're not, like, speeding out of there because they know no one's going to know it's them. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, next week, we'll be back with my stories. <laughs> and actually, I'm really excited because we have our first listener story next week. So mm-hmm. get your spritzers ready. We're going to do a spritzer next week. Uh, it's utterly and completely terrifying. It is one. I, I actually, when I was reading it, um, almost cried a couple times. <laughs> Because it was very, very terrifying. I'm excited to terrify you. Get ready. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I would really like for, like we said earlier, for more of you to share your stories. We would like to bring them to you. Another cat's acting crazy. My cat. Emma's oh, cat's been injured, so we're happy to see her <laughs> up moving around. She's also a super giant, giant um, drama queen. And I love you, Emma, but she... Emma freaks out really um, easily when it comes to Godiva. Who She's is my a, baby. She was a very sweet kitty cat, but she took her to the vet yesterday. <laughs> and upon entering the house, immediately after that, there was nothing wrong with the damn cat again because she's fine. Until about 10 p.m. last night where I yeah. went to another full-blown freak out. She practices um, the lame duck walk and gets her leg like pulled behind her and she can't do anything. It's strange. After $95, I was told she was perfectly healthy. But she did get some drugs, which did not make her sleepy. Instead, she's acting completely crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Well, thanks for listening again today. We appreciate all of your love and support and your listenership and hope you stick with us. 
thank you for letting me tell you crazy ass stories. I would like to say she's going to bring us an uplifting one, but that's not how true crime works. I can try to find one with a happy ending, but yeah, that's not really how true crime <laughs> no. works. I can't think of one that... I can't. Well, either. maybe like some missing persons cases that are solved happily later on. I can try to find one of those so it's not as depressing. Nope. If you're all caught up on ours, I'm going to give my um, podcast shout out. I have been listening to Girls One Ghost, and it is super great. I love them. They have a great dynamic. So give it a check. Check it out if you haven't done so yet, um, but please come back. In the meantime, though... Oh, hold on. I want to get my podcast shout out. Oh, I've been okay. listening to my tried and trues. I listen to the Mile Higher podcast, which is... They do, like, missing persons cases. They do a lot of true crime, and then they also have a separate podcast that is um, for scary stories called uh, Lights Out, I think. Lights Out podcast. And he does, like, cryptids, and he'll do, like, possession stories, and he'll do ghost stuff. So she has, like, hers with... They're married. They're really cute. They're married, and she does hers with him that's true crime, the stuff that she likes. Kendall Ray. If any of you are podcast lovers or true crime lovers, you know who I'm talking about. She is an OG in the podcast world, in the true crime world. But she does one with her husband that's true crime, and he does one with his brother that's scary. Nice. And it's awesome. You'll have to give me those. Cause yeah. I I watch them on YouTube, though. I don't listen to them on anything because I like to see them talk. Yeah, we're someday going to get that YouTube thing going. Yeah, one day. We just have to look semi-decent <laughs> yeah. when, we, when we do it, so we're not sitting Looking down Looking a little here. greasy right now. I've been working all day. I'm not going to lie. It's been a rough couple of days back. But thanks for listening to the Monsters and Mixers podcast. Please follow us on our socials. There's lots of them. You can find us on Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod, on Twitter at Monsters and Mixers, oh, at Monsters Mixers, and on Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast. Like and follow us on your preferred listening platform, leave a five-star rating, and send us those stories via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or at one of the before-mentioned socials. Yeah, and um, if you could definitely do the rating and also subscribe to us on your preferred platform so it kind of like pushes us through the algorithm and gets us more like traffic on those things we can bring more people to yeah see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct i want to say a delicious drink but we're going to concoct a drink to wash down (laughs) the horror now get out there and meet some ghosts and make some toasts see you next time